Hello, 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 and welcome back to Netflix, Coffee, and Questioning Humanity. In today's episode, I want to get into the finale of American Horror Story, a few things that I've been watching that are really awesome, and obviously some streaming news. We have some big news. Firstly, I'd like to say that this episode will be um, a bit shorter. I have some serious health issues going on, uh, and I don't want to get too much into it, don't want to bring down the mood, but I probably won't have another episode for about two weeks, possibly three weeks. I'm not entirely sure yet. I've been in an amazing amount of pain and I spent 12 hours in the ER the other day and it was not fun and it was really fucking scary. Side note, be fucking kind to your ER doctors and nurses. They are in the thick of it right now and they deal with the most insane shit. I saw some batshit wild things while I was there and I made it a point to say thank you for what you do. I see you and I appreciate your efforts to keep everything safe and clean and in working order. And they just have endless patience. I don't know how they do it. And I mean patience with a C. Patience like the people as well, but patience. But anyway, I did all the tests and I got my results and you know, it's scary stuff, but you know, I I have a plan of action to recover. And I mean, that's all you really can do. I have a lot going on due to that situation. But the big thing that I have going on that's going to cause my absence is um, a surgery that I'll be having probably within the next week or so. It was just kind of thrown at me that I'll need this. uh, So I don't have like major details about how long recovery takes or anything like that. But I have a feeling it's probably going to be a little bit of time. Uh, Hopefully two weeks max, maybe less. We'll see how I feel. But I don't even know how long they're going to keep me in the hospital after the surgery. So hopefully it's quick and easy and awesome. Hasta la vista, but I just wanted to give the heads up. I'm recording this from my bed while I'm feeling, you know, semi-okay. It's It's been a rough week, so it's going to be a baby episode, but it'll be cool. I hope. I hope you like it. <laughs> Friendly reminder that this is an explicit podcast, which means I may discuss explicit content while using explicit language. Did I really forget it? Anyway, big cussy words. If you don't like that, don't like harsh topics or sensitive topics, this isn't the place for you, and you may want to bow out. Now, on with the show. I am only drinking Folgers today, but and however, I did get the coolest thing in the mail a few days ago, and I cannot wait to review it and actually taste it. It's the Dead Sled Rob Zombie Coffee Collab, and it's called the Hellbilly Brew. The bag is absolutely iconic, and the details of this coffee are so sick, and I can't wait to try that. And I'll talk all about it when I come back for a normal episode, you know, in time for Halloween, so that'll be cool. But right now is the time for comfort coffee, so nothing's super exciting to report there. The first thing that I want to talk about is that American Horror Story double feature Red Tide finale. I'm not going to do my full breakdown that takes like 30 minutes because I don't want to spend, you know, eight hours editing this like I normally do. But I wanted to give my overall thoughts on the finale and this half of double feature as a whole. Let me start off by veering off course just a little bit, but not really. I knew the actress that was playing the mass police officer before they even showed her face. And that might have set my expectations a little too high for this episode, knowing that they were coming in with a bang with Lizzie McGuire's gym teacher. 
So that could be the reason why this episode did not meet my expectations. However, I do have other reasons. It felt very messy and disjointed and like it was all just sort of jumbled together. I know they had a lot to pack into this last episode of this part of the season. I understand that. And even if it was just messily packed together, there were parts of the package that I did not like. Does that make sense? Anyway, the kid was fucking creepy and I'm okay with creepy kids. That's not why I hated it. She's been creepy for a while. I just didn't like the storyline. I didn't buy it. I didn't believe it. It seemed kind of phoned in to me. Maybe they will perfect it with how they tie it into Death Valley. I don't know. The one thing that didn't make sense to me, and maybe it's not supposed to make sense. Maybe that's the whole point. I just wish they focused a little bit more on the story aspect. I'm sure if they had the whole season to focus on the P-Town story, it would have been perfect. I don't even feel right giving this a rating yet. I do want to wait until Death Valley comes out so I can properly see how the story ties together and see if it makes it make sense. I doubt that, but you know, we'll see. I just feel like everything was flipped on its ass in this episode. Like everything we worked for was flipped on its ass. And again, maybe that's purposeful. I know this whole season was about being power hungry. I get that. Obviously, I'm going to be tuning in for Death Valley. I'm excited to see how they wrap this up because I believe they only have four episodes for the Death Valley part. Next up, Chicago Party Aunt, which is being pretty roughly reviewed by critics. And to that, I give a giant fuck you. I see a lot of myself in Diane and gosh darn it, I'll be the narcissist yet again. I see myself in her and maybe that's why I love her. I find comfort in her. She's a little more social than I am. I'm not that excited to be around people, but everything else is pretty spot on. This show is fucking hilarious and Lauren Ash, who stars as Diane, is so funny. Yes, the accent is laid on thick. It's a part of the humor. It's stupid, but it's stupid on purpose and it's funny as hell. If you're into that shit, it's more like big mouth, but less like seventh grade health class topics. If you hear Ragnar meowing, I'm so sorry. You know, he gets needy and it's almost dinner time. So he's extra needy and wants to climb all over me. No. No, Ragnar. No. It's not time to eat. Lay down. Goddamn cat acts like he's never been fed in his life and he's the size of a dog. You get everything you'd imagine in Chicago Party Aunt that you would get from an adult cartoon like Ephesus or Family, but the pace is a lot quicker and there's a lot of jokes packed in like one after the other after the other, kind of like Family Guy, you know? And I just don't take it so seriously. People are so uptight sometimes and take comedy to this grave place where it just doesn't belong. Comedy is supposed to do the opposite of that. Like take the grave shit and bring it down to a calm, lighthearted place. Dark comedy, at least. Dark humor. Humor is the kyber crystal to my lightsaber life. And speaking of kyber crystal, we need to talk about Star Wars visions really quick. No spoilers, just thoughts and quick thoughts, because if I go on too long, I'll spill the beans. And I know that's no bueno for Star Wars lovers. I loved this show. Probably one of the best things I've watched all year. And I love how there are so many ways to interpret Star Wars, especially stylistically. And there's so much opportunity there. The biggest thing I noticed that they pounced on was the lightsabers. Again, I don't want to spoil an ounce of it, but holy shit, did they do the damn thing with the lightsabers in every single episode. And if you don't know or don't remember, Visions is an anime anthology series and it's on Disney+. Plus. It consists of nine short films produced by seven Japanese animation studios and each one tells their own original stories based on the Star Wars universe. The alternate reality, well, we don't know that for sure. 
I only assume it's not canon. They haven't said if it is or isn't. I just assume it's a reimagination and an alternate reality and not canon, mostly based on the episode Twins. I believe that's what it's called. But Visions shows a goofy side, a dark side, pun completely intended on that one. I just loved every episode. They're all so different and so beautiful, funny, heavy, cinematic, inspiring. It's hard to even say which one is the best. I don't think I'd be able to do that because they're just all so different, even though they're under the same umbrella. But it's not like saying, what's your favorite soup? Chicken noodle and minestrone are under the same umbrella of soup, and you can rate soups that way. But this is like, it, it's just so far apart. It's like asking, what's your favorite feeling? The feeling you get right before you fall asleep. The feeling of being cuddled. The feeling you get when you hear Freddie Mercury sing the line like Lady Godiva. Or the moment the roller coaster drops. Or when you're getting freaky and your freak nasty hits extra freaky. You know what I'm saying? It's all too far apart. And I think that's the beautiful thing about Star Wars. They created a universe that is so vast under the umbrella of two fucking words. Everything you consume is a different experience. Your experience watching the original films, the Visions show, the Mandalorian show, the experience you have at Batu within the Disney parks where you can taste the food they eat in the Star Wars universe. Side note, I had the blue and green milk without the alcohol and with the alcohol, and I highly recommend the blue one with alcohol. I believe it's tequila that's in that one. If you ever get the chance to go to Batu, I highly recommend it. Anyways, the video games, the action figures, all of it, everything is so beautifully interwoven and has such strong brand identity that you immediately know it's Star Wars, regardless of how it's interpreted, in the most genius way that couldn't be any more different, but yet they're all Star Wars, uniquely. I don't know if any of that made sense. I tried my best to explain it, but just amazing. So good. Now we're going to jump into some streaming news, starting with Netflix. The world's first female chess grandmaster, Nona Gabrindavishili, I hope I did that last name justice, has filed a 5 million defamation lawsuit against Netflix over a line in the show, The Queen's Gambit, which her lawyers say is false and sexist. The 80-year-old Soviet chess icon was described in the show's last episode as a female champion who had never faced men. The suit filed on her behalf in a U.S. federal court in Los Angeles said the reference to her was degrading her accomplishments before an audience of many millions. The legal papers said that the five times world champion was the first woman in history to achieve the status of international chess grandmaster among men. She had played against at least 59 male chess players by 1968, the year in which the episode was set, according to the legal papers. Obviously, we know the Queen's Gambit is extremely, extremely successful. And Netflix did not immediately reply to a request for comment, but was cited in the U.S. media as saying it would, quote, vigorously defend the case. Netflix has announced Tiger King 2 is coming to the streaming service. The first season of the series, Tiger King, Murder, Mayhem, and Madness was told over seven episodes. The second season was filmed in 2020 and into part of 2021. We don't know which characters will be returning, and no official date has been announced, but we can expect to see the next installment of Tiger King sometime in 2022. Netflix has given romantic drama Virgin River a two-season pickup, and that two-season pickup is large. That's an order of 20 episodes, and that's typically reserved for Netflix's bigger hits. In early December, Virgin River beat out The Crown for the Nielsen Weekly Streaming Rank 
rankings. And in July, Virgin River dethroned Manifest to once again rank number one on the Nielsen chart, a spot it held for two weeks. I didn't even know this show existed. Just like Manifest, what am I doing with my life? How do I have a streaming podcast with Netflix in the title and I've never seen Manifest or fucking whatever this virgin river it's a big deal though so i wanted to include it because i know a lot of people love it highlights in season three include a funeral a fire a divorce a hurricane a new romance and a cliffhanger i'm probably going to give this a watch i'm not a huge fan of romantic dramas it takes a pretty interesting turn like vampires or werewolves to get me interested but I'll give this a shot. We'll see what all the fuss is about. Virgin River, whose renewal was first reported by USA Today, was developed by Sue Tenney based on the best-selling book series by Robin Carr. It centers on a nurse practitioner who moves to the remote California town of Virgin River and finds that life there isn't as simple as she expected. This next news is so exciting for me. Schitt's Creek co-creator and star Dan Levy has signed a new deal with Netflix. I just have to let you know, Ragnar is now knocking everything down that he possibly can from my nightstand to my dresser. Can, can I just have five minutes, please? Five minutes. Will you die? Will you starve? Do I ever let you starve? Have you been fed two to three times a day for the last how old are you? Years of your life? Are you not spoiled with love, affection, and attention? Do I not rock you to sleep some nights? Five more minutes, please. Parenthood, you know what I'm saying? Dan Levy will write and produce new film and TV projects for the streaming service. Netflix's head of global film and Netflix's head of global series said Dan Levy is an incredible all-around creative talent who thoughtfully approaches every story with meaningful perspective. His work on Schitt's Creek charmed audiences around the world and were thrilled to partner and create new films and shows with Dan. They're not wrong. They are not fucking wrong. Levy's first project will be an untitled romantic comedy film. Levy will write, direct, and star in the film, as well as produce it with Stacey Snyder and Kate Fenske. Levy will begin work on his first TV series in July 2022, and I am so, so over the moon about this. I love and aspire to be Dan Levy, and I mean that. When I first got introduced to him on Schitt's Creek, I shit you not, I watched endless, endless interviews with him to the point where there was one he did with Vogue, was it? You know when they do their follow you around and ask you a hundred questions thing? He was talking about how obsessed he was with blueberry lemon ricotta pancakes and I went out and bought ingredients for blueberry lemon ricotta pancakes and he wore army pants and flip-flops and I wore army pants and flip-flops and then I bought his sunglasses and I got the nonchalant sweater for Christmas and one day when it goes too far I will let my eyebrows grow out and then I will be a levy as well. According to CNN Business, Netflix has acquired the rights to the Roll Doll stories and plans to create a unique universe of products based on them. Netflix said in a press release that the two companies are joining forces to bring some of the world's most loved stories to current and future fans in creative new ways. The deal comes three years after Netflix and RDSC, which is Roll Doll's estate, worked together on a number of animated TV series, including one based on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and an adaptation of Matilda the Musical. Netflix Netflix added that these projects opened their eyes to much more ambitious ventures. The creation of a unique universe across animated and live action films and TV, publishing, games, immersive experiences, live theater, consumer products, and more. Which is a big hint if you read between the lines there where Netflix is going to focus in next. We knew that they were venturing into the gaming world and I think that's their next big focus probably for 2022, 2023, maybe even to 2025. But I think 
think Netflix plans to grow much, much bigger. We're going to have a Netflix world, the next Disney world, the next Universal. One can only hope. Could you imagine? That would be amazing. And the big, big, big Netflix news. Exactly one week ahead of her next conservatorship hearing, Netflix released a trailer for its upcoming Britney Spears documentary, which will launch the day before the pop star heads to court. Britney vs. Spears will debut on Netflix on September 28th, and the next day, September 29th, marks the most significant court hearing to date in the singer's long and drawn-out legal battle as she fights for her freedom out of the conservatorship that she's been under for more than a decade with her father. Father, Jamie Spears, largely acting as her sole conservator. In the trailer, the pop star's voiceover is heard from an audio recording of her June 23rd testimony at the Los Angeles Superior Courthouse, where she addressed the court for the first time publicly telling the judge that she is traumatized. We hear her say, I've worked my whole life. I don't owe these people anything. Oh, I'm so ready for this. The Netflix project directed by filmmaker Erin Lee Carr has been in the works for more than a year. The documentary is said to center around Spears' conservatorship featuring key figures in the singer's orbit. It's unclear but highly unlikely that Britney will appear in the project. This isn't the first documentary we've seen revolving around the conservatorship. We obviously had that New York Times produced documentary for Hulu and FX called Framing Britney Spears, which took a look at the odd conservatorship case. I say odd very lightly. It, it, it was suspicious. It also took a look at the hashtag Free Britney movement and also gave us some hindsight on the misogynistic media narrative that has framed her throughout her entire career for literally no reason like she was just a teenage female young adult female existing and was just shit on for it that documentary was nominated for two emmy awards but britney says she was embarrassed by the framing britney spears documentary but then said she didn't watch the documentary so i don't know if she was uncomfortable with it at the time uncomfortable with the production or circumstances surrounding it and she hasn't commented on the Netflix documentary, and it's unclear whether she was reached for the project or aware of it before it was announced. But some juicy news is that the documentary is said to reveal confidential information about the singer's 13-year conservatorship. That's according to New York Times. So we will just have to wait and see what all the hubbub is about. Britney V. Spears will premiere on Netflix 928, so set your calendars. Moving on to Hulu, there's only a little bit of news this week. Marvel's Hitmonkey will premiere on November 17th exclusively on Hulu. Hitmonkey is a show that follows a snow monkey aided by the ghost of an American assassin who goes on a revenge quest and becomes the famous killer of killers. George Taki stars as Shinji, Olivia Munn as Akiko, and Jason Sudeikis as Bryce. And again that premieres on November 17th. Moving on to HBO Max, via today.com, HBO Max gave fans a brief glimpse at the new series titled And Just Like That, which is a reboot of Sex and the City. It was revealed in a teaser video that highlighted the shows and movies coming out soon on HBO. And in the clip, Sarah Jessica Parker's Carrie was surrounded by her friends, Miranda and Charlotte. Then the clip cuts to Carrie and Mr. Big, boo. We don't like Mr. Big around here. But the two are canoodling and kissing, and obviously they're still together. It's so dumb. Mr. Big was the worst. He was the most toxic, douchey cunt. Yeah, I throw that word around a lot. I like the word cunt. 
I don't care how dirty you think it is. It's well-deserved in this case. Justice for Aiden Shaw. The new Sex in the City series was announced back in January. And while many of the show's favorite faces are coming back, one beloved character, Kim Cattrall, will not reprise her role as Samantha. And for me personally, Sex in the City is not Sex in the City without Samantha. I feel like I remember something about Aiden coming back in the series, but I just can't remember. I think he is actually. And that intrigues me to watch because I love Aiden's character. But also to see him get shit on by Carrie again, I don't know. I hope they give him justice if they bring him back. The HBO Max chief content officer said, quote, they're not trying to redo sex in the city. They're not trying to say these characters are reliving their 30s. It is very much a story about women in their 50s and they are dealing with things that people deal with in their 50s. Friendships fade and new friendships start. So I think it's all very indicative of the real stages and actual stages of life. They're trying to tell an honest story about being a woman in her 50s in New York, so it should feel somewhat organic. And the friends that you have when you're 30 may not be the ones you have when you're 50, which is bullshit knees for we couldn't get Kim Cattrall back because she has beef with Sarah Jessica Parker. It's all fine. It'll do well. I'm sure the story will be lovely. But let's be honest, Samantha was just as vital as Carrie. On the topic of Sex and the City, in much sadder news, we lost a legend, Willie Garson, best known for his role as the iconic Stanford Blatch in Sex and the City. He was in so many other roles, somewhat smaller, but regardless of how small the role was, he stole the scene away from Hollywood big names. For example, his role as Evan in Freaky Friday, where he just out did himself next to Jamie Lee Curtis. That was a crazy funny role. According to his obituary, Garson died of pancreatic cancer. His final moments were spent at home in Los Angeles. In lieu of flowers, the family requests that any donations be made in his name go to the Alliance for Children's Rights, which is an organization which facilitates adoptions in LA County and was very close to Garson's heart. And I will have more information on that at the end of the episode. According to IMDb, we will see him reprise his famous role as Carrie Bradshaw's best friend in the new Sex in the City series. Switching gears into Paramount Plus news, Paramount Plus announced on September 21st that it's launching a new streaming bundle for both its ad-supported and premium tiers that include Showtime. Paramount Plus offers two subscription options, a pared-down essential plan with limited ads for $5 a month and an ad-free premium plan for $10 a month. Viacom CBS's Showtime is offering the bundle at a special introductory price of $10 a month and $13 a month, respectively. Like other services that are also looking to lure subscribers by offering, for example, limited free to stream content or slashed promotional pricing. We see that with HBO as well. HBO has a crazy plan right now. It's up on the pod's Instagram and CQH podcast if you want more information. Get it in time for Dune in the Matrix. Paramount Plus hopes the package will help it with new customers. Tom Ryan, the president and CEO of Viacom CBS Streaming, said the company expects the competitively priced bundle to only further expand the reach of both services. In Amazon Prime Video news, fresh off their collaboration on Coming to America, Amazon Studios has closed a three-picture and first-look deal with Eddie Murphy. This calls for the comedian to star in three films for Amazon Studios and develop original film projects for Prime Video and the studio, 
with the potential to star in them as well. This isn't new for Amazon. They've been pretty aggressive with tying down people like Michael B. Jordan and Nicole Kidman so they can lock up major stars and creators to create more exclusive content that is highly desirable. We will see Eddie Murphy on Netflix, however. He is going to be producing and starring opposite Jonah Hill and a Kenya Barris-directed comedy for the major streaming giant. But aside from that, we can expect big funnies coming from Amazon Prime, and I think this is a great partnership for both of them. Moving on to Disney+. Plus. Disney is making Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings available to stream at no additional cost for subscribers as part of its newly announced Disney Plus Day. On Disney Plus Day, we will also be seeing Jungle Cruise, the new Disney Plus original movie Home Sweet Home Alone, a reimagining of the popular holiday franchise Home Alone, an all-new series of shorts from Walt Disney Animation Studios called Olaf Presents, which sees Frozen's beloved snowman retelling several classic Disney tales as only he can, which I'm very excited for. I think that be really cute. We will also see the domestic Disney Plus streaming debut of fan favorite shorts from Walt Disney Animation Studios, including Frozen Fever, the Oscar-winning shorts Feast and Paperman, Oscar-nominated Mickey Mouse short Get a Horse, and more. An animated short film, Ciao Alberto, from Pixar, featuring characters from this summer's animated hit breakout film, Luca. A new short from The Simpsons that pays tribute to Disney Plus's marquee brands. The first five episodes from season two of The World According to Jeff Goldblum from National Geographic. Love that show. Very excited to see it return. A special celebrating the origins and legacy of Star Wars's legendary bounty hunter, Boba Fett. Also super excited for that. A special celebrating the Marvel Cinematic Universe on Disney Plus with an exciting look towards the future. That's the one I'm most excited about. And the final thing we will see is Dope Sick, an original series starring Michael Keaton, which will be released in international markets as part of the Star General Entertainment content offering. Again, I want to thank you for listening and again, apologize for the short episode, but I really wanted to do this. My brain doesn't like to chill out, so I've been staying distracted with putting this little nugget together and playing words with friends and writing and all that fun stuff. But yeah, hopefully it'll be a short little hiatus. Like I said, two to three weeks, maybe less. Oh my God, it would be amazing if it would just be one week. In honor of Willie Garson, I would like to spotlight AllianceForChildrensRights.org. Their mission is to protect the rights of children in poverty and those overcoming abuse and neglect by delivering free legal advice supportive programs, and systematic solutions. Their website shows their impact, offers resources if you'd like to create a fundraiser in partnership with them, how to volunteer as a mentor, and also opportunities for students to volunteer as well. And of course, they also have the option to donate whatever you are comfortable giving if you choose to do so. If you'd like to follow the pod on Instagram where I give live updates on tons of streaming news and fun coffee things like Starbucks coupons and the newest wackiest creamers like the Elf, yes, Elf, the Will Ferrell movie creamer. It's sugar cookie flavored and I'm here for it. I'm definitely gonna be trying that. If you want all of that, the pod's Instagram is NCQH podcast. And if you want to read my poetry book, Maya Card for free. Amazon Kindle is offering two months of Kindle Unlimited for free. And Myocardium is a part of the Unlimited program, which means it is of no charge to you. The link to sign up for the two-month trial is in my personal Instagram bio. That's L-E-A-A underscore M-A-R-Z. 
When you click the link, all you have to do is create an account or sign into your pre-existing Amazon account because we all have Amazon accounts, let's be real, and that will unlock the deal. Please note that the mobile version of Myocardium does not contain my artwork. That is specifically in the paperback, which is obviously still available through Amazon if you'd like to check that out as well. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to catch you really soon. Obviously not as soon as I'd like, but, you know, hopefully, you know, rather fast, right? Until next time, stay caffeinated, stay streaming, stay strong, and stay nice to your doctors and nurses in the ER, please. (laughs) 